The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by IBM. Big data at the speed of business. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome members of our military who are joining us over the Internet today. Thank you for being with us again. I also want to welcome new listeners in the Miami and Fort Lauderdale areas who are joining us on WZAB. In just a moment, world-acclaimed archaeologist, historian, and scholar Eric Klein will be here to make a connection that many of us haven't considered before, the connection between globalization, interdependency, and the rapid collapse of civilizations which once comprised the Great Bronze Age. Klein's the author of 1177, The Year Civilization Collapsed, a riveting look at the domino effect which brought the Minoans, Trojans, Hittites, Babylonians, and other societies to their end. Today, more than ever, we need to understand how systemic failure can trigger a similar contagion. But before Mr. Klein joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Eric H. Klein received his undergraduate degree in archaeology from Dartmouth College, his master's in near, in near Eastern languages and literature from Yale University, and his Ph.D. in ancient history from the University of Pennsylvania. He has been an active field archaeologist on sites in Israel, Egypt, Jordan, Cyprus, Greece, Crete, and in the United States, including acting as co-director of the Megiddo site and Tel Cabri excavations in Israel. Klein has authored 16 books, hundreds of articles, and is a Pulitzer Prize nominee. He has been the recipient of numerous national book and teaching awards, including from the Archaeological Institute of America and Biblical Archaeological Society. In addition to a successful writing and teaching career, you might also be familiar with Klein from his popular appearances on the National Geographic Channel, History Channel, BBC, Discovery Channel, and ABC News. Today, Mr. Klein teaches history and archaeology at George Washington University, where he also chairs the Department of Classical and Near Eastern Languages and Civilizations and is the director of the university's Capital Archaeological Institute. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report historian, archaeologist, best-selling author and scholar, Eric H. Klein. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Klein. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. If it's all right with you, uh, I'd like to open today's program by asking you to give us a little refresher course. Uh, a lot of us, it's, it, it's been a while since we've been in school. So what's, what was significant about the Bronze Age and how it came to an end? Okay, well, first of all, yes, let me take you back a little more than 3,000 years ago. We're in the ancient Mediterranean, think Greece, Italy, uh, the region that is now Israel, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Egypt, Turkey, the what we would call the Aegean and Eastern Mediterranean. And in the late Bronze Age, which would be the period from about 1700 to 1200 BC, this was an active international and I would call globalized uh, set of civilizations that were interacting back and forth. They had international trade, they had diplomacy, they had embassies and embargoes, uh, wonderful royal marriages, bitter divorces. I mean, lots of stuff that you think of us having today, they already had back then. So 3,000 years ago, when they're using uh, copper and tin to make bronze, uh, they were already a fairly advanced set of uh, societies, I would argue. Now, what was it about how they came to an end that that interested you? Uh, excellent question. I've actually been interested in the fall of the late Bronze Age, the collapse, as people call it, 
uh, almost since I was in college. Uh, the problem is that round about 1200 BC, just uh, you know, within a decade or two after 1200 BC, all of this comes to an end. Everybody that had been flourishing the the G8 of the ancient world, as it were, the Minoans, Mycenaeans, Hittites, Assyrians, Babylonians, Egyptians, all of it comes to a crashing halt. Uh, some uh, civilizations fall faster than others, but certainly within, say, a century, everything that the world had known in that area was gone. So what they knew in 1200 uh, is, is quite different from 1100 B.C., 100 years later, and completely gone by 1000 B.C., so everything changes very dramatically. And the question is very simple, um, what caused it? Uh, however, the answer is not quite as simple. Uh, and I would argue that there was no one single stress or factor that there were, in fact, a number of driving uh, forces. Because, you know, there, it, it, we, it turns out that there's famine back then, there's drought, climate change, if you want to call it that, but there's also earthquakes, there's invaders. And from my point of view, uh, each one of those was um, uh, survivable. You know, you can survive a, a drought, you can survive a famine, you could survive invaders. You might not be happy about it, but something survives. But what if they all happen at the same time? What if there's kind of a multiplier effect or a domino effect? Now, I think that's what we see happening in the years after 1200 B.C., that there were just too many things going wrong, and they couldn't survive it. Plus, they were so interdependent to a certain degree that once one fell, the others followed in rapid succession, almost like a domino effect. I think you bring up a good point that any one of these civilizations might have endured one threat, two threats, three threats. But it was the interdependency, the the enmeshment of each economy with the others that caused them to fall one after the other in such a condensed period of time. At the, at the root of the entire collapse of the Bronze Age really is this globalization and interdependency, isn't it? Yeah, I would argue uh, to a certain extent it is. Uh, but you can you can also see how it would happen. I mean, back then, uh, the main thing that they're using, the main metal is bronze. And to make bronze, you need copper, 90% of it, and 10% tin. So if you can get copper and tin, you can make bronze, and then you're fine. And they've been doing that since about 3000 B.C., 5,000 years ago is when the Bronze Age starts. So we're near the end of that. But at the time... Uh, copper is is fairly um, you know, available. Uh, the island of Cyprus, for example, that's where you can get most of your copper. The tin, though, at that time, there's a little bit from southeastern Turkey. There's maybe some evidence that they're going up to Cornwall, but not often. The vast majority of the tin comes all the way from Afghanistan, the area that we today would call Afghanistan. And the trade routes that are bringing that all the way to the coast of Syria and then over to Greece... You know, if that trade route is cut, then you're in a great deal of trouble. And a British uh, colleague of mine has said that the search for tin and therefore bronze was probably as important to the ancient Egyptian kings and the Hittites, you know, that uh, oil is to the American president today. So if you start cutting your trade routes and you're too dependent on uh, items you have to import, then when those are cut, you're you're in trouble. And that's where I would say that there may be a word of warning for us today. Not that I would say we're exactly like people 3,000 years ago, but the whole interdependence and all that, there are lessons to be learned from the ancient world if we take a look at them. I think you're ex you're spot on about this, because I think at at the point at which these societies were dependent on singular trade routes uh, for tin in order to continue to furnish their military, for example, uh, to protect their society and for their economies to prosper um, during this period of time. Uh, I think the parallels with our interdependency uh, globally in the United States, uh, as an example, the, the kind of oil depe uh, dependency that we have and, our, um, and the slowness at which we're uh, breaking that dependence, 
uh, I think it's making us vulnerable to similar conditions that uh, you outline so well in your book, 1177. It's a fantastic book. I, I hope our listeners will go out and get it because I think there are many lessons there um, uh, to be learned. Now, we have to take a brief break. When we come back, we'll find out whether global instability and conflict today uh, looks anything like the conditions which led to the end of the Great Bronze Age. You're listening to the Costa Report. Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, and raspberries. Dole has a bounty of berries ripe for the picking. Fresh berries are not only delicious, but some of the most powerful disease-fighting foods available. Researchers have found that berries have some of the highest antioxidant levels of any fresh fruits. So add a handful or two of your favorite berries to your next meal and enjoy their nutritional benefits and natural sweetness in all of your dishes, from salads to desserts and everything in between. For fresh tips and ideas from Dole's berry experts, visit berries.dole.com. And be sure to check out the pages of mouthwatering recipes. Whether it's a sweet and savory blueberry cranberry chicken salad, or a simple strawberry sorbet, Dole has the perfect berry to inspire your next berrylicious dish. Every day our world gets more complicated. Not only is new information coming at us faster than we can manage, new regulations, technology, and the effects of globalization have made it much more difficult to succeed. That's why I wrote The Watchman's Rattle, a book that, for the first time, explains how complexity makes it hard to separate facts from fiction and eventually causes us to make important decisions based on unproven beliefs. And not just us, our leaders also fall prey to this phenomena. But here's the good news. Once you know the symptoms to watch for, you can safeguard against them. So please, go to RebeccaCosta.com. That's RebeccaCosta.com and order your copy of The Watchman's Rattle. It only takes a few minutes and the shipping is free. That's RebeccaCosta.com. Do it now. You'll be glad you did. School's back in session. Bad news for the kids. Great news for RVers. Hello, folks. Michael Olson here with Rena Mills, the owner of RV Service Center, 2525 Mission, north end of Santa Cruz, right next to California One. Rena, it is a great time to be an RVer. Yes, Michael, that's true. Weather is fantastic in Santa Cruz County. So get your RVs tuned up at RV Service Center. Do you have any special inducements to get people ready to hit the road this autumn? Yes, Michael, we do. Anytime you have any damage on your RV, we can help you get an insurance claim started. And with that insurance claim, we offer a free gift certificate equal to the value of your deductible when you have your insurance work done at RV Service Center. Wow, that means like a free repair almost. Yes, it does, Michael. That's just money in your pocket. And in the gas tank and on the open road. Folks, bring your RVs down to RV Service Center here at the north end of Santa Cruz 2525 Mission. Have your RV all tuned up by RV Service Center, and away you go. Do you have a plan for your money? Does your money come and go like the tides? Do you just leave your finances to fate? Cash is always flowing. Money is always moving. And if you don't manage it, it will move away from you. So many people actually spend more time planning their next trip to the dentist than they do something even more important like their retirement. You know what they say, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. Don't leave your financial future to fate. Take charge. Listen to Money Moves every Thursday at 7 p.m. here on KSCO AM 1080. Money Moves is dedicated to providing you tips and tools so you can manage your own money effectively. No one cares about your money more than you do. Therefore, you need the skills to manage your money. Listen to Money Moves every Thursday at 7 p.m. here on KSCO AM 1080.
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is award-winning historian, archaeologist, and best-selling author Eric Klein. And before the break, we were talking about how many of the great societies which once comprised the Bronze Age became dependent on tin from Afghanistan, and when those trade routes were interrupted, it weakened their ability to survive. And we were drawing a comparison to the dependency on oil in the Middle East, which uh, an area which increasingly looks unstable. Now, uh, just a couple of months ago, you wrote a, an important piece for the New York Times where you point to a report by a prominent military advisory board which stated that climate change poses a serious threat to our national security. And, and yet I believe the latest polls indicate that over 65% of Americans believe that climate change is a big hoax. So what do you do uh, and what do you say to uh, either... Uh, the people who don't believe climate change is occurring or uh, B, don't think humans are responsible and therefore nothing can be done about it anyways? Excellent questions. And uh, indeed, I I addressed those in that op-ed in the New York Times, also in a piece I wrote for the Huffington Post. Basically, you know, there are, in the last two years, uh, two or three years, there have been four separate studies that have shown that there was climate change at about 1200 B.C. There's drought and there's famine. It's now been proven through pollen cores and various other things. And this is something that we have long suspected but never been able to prove before. So now that we know there is climate change at the end of the late Bronze Age, it goes a long way to uh, helping to explain why those civilizations had a bit of trouble at that time. Now, I'll be the first to admit that that climate change back then was not human in origin. The Hittites are not driving SUVs back then and anything like that. You know, this is climate change that Mother Nature is doing, and this happens, you know, from time to time in the world. The question is whether or not human beings can uh, can survive it. And, you know, they have survived. We had climate change like that. We had drought in the 1930s here in the States with the Dust Bowl, and people did survive it. So the question for me is not so much, you know, who's causing the climate change or do you believe in it or do you don't. The simple fact of the matter is there was a drought. There was a long drought back at 1200 BC, and one should call that climate change. That's what it is. Uh, And so then the question is, how do you survive something like that? Now, the difference between back then and and now is I would say that they had no way of predicting that. They're not going to know that uh, climate change is coming. Uh, And same, you know, with us today, we have a slightly different solution. Let's say, for argument's sake, that human beings are creating climate change, then we do have an obligation to figure out how to fix it. If the climate change is going on is not human uh, manufactured, and it, but it's still going on, we still have that obligation. If you want to deny there's climate change at all, then you know you can do what you want. But I would say that if we're in a situation where we detect it, regardless of what's causing it, that we then have an obligation to. Uh, somehow make steps to to make sure that we survive, which the people back in the late Bronze Age did not. Well, you and I are on the same page. It doesn't matter if humans created it or it doesn't. If it's occurring, we have to respond to it. And the earlier we, we respond to it, the better. So, you know, in some ways, this almost feels like a an argument that is just a giant distraction from taking action. Uh, particularly, what a shame we have... Uh, technologies and solutions where we could prophylactically get on top of this situation, but we seem to be uh, too distracted by the argument as to whether humans have caused this or not caused it. Uh, The fact is that climate change caused massive food and water shortages, which in turn instigated instability and great amounts of conflict during the Bronze Age. And and uh, doesn't that sort of feed the argument that these dramatic shifts in the Earth's climate occur on a regular basis with or without human participation and that that you're going to see as a symptom of that uh, uh, political and uh, instability in uh, in other countries? Yeah, well, that's actually why I wrote that op-ed in the New York Times. What caught my eye was that 
they were making a, a correlation between uh, climate change uh, and things like that and global instability. And there were people that had denied that. And I said, wait a minute, if you look back in the late Bronze Age, and granted it's 3,000 years ago, but we have on the one hand now scientific evidence that there was a drought at that time. And on the other hand, we have written texts. We actually have on clay tablets written in cuneiform back then People like the king of Ugarit saying, not only he's saying, you know, there is a famine in my land, please send uh, grain. The Hittite king says, here we are suffering from famine. Uh, in another town, the person writes, we're all dying here. By the time you get here, we'll be dead. But uh, added to that are other texts that say things like enemy ships have been sighted. Please let me know if more are coming so we know what happens. Uh, another text says that uh, you're too late, the enemy has already come, we're all dead here. Uh, and to find these texts kind of side by side, to me at least, argues that if you've got climate change back then, that it was causing global instability. Uh, and we have kind of the same situation where today when something happens on one side of the world, like uh, you know, an earthquake or a tsunami in Japan, it affects the stock market in the United States. Uh, and the same thing back then, the events that happened in Greece would affect uh, other things eventually in the Levant, in you know, Canaan and in Mesopotamia, what is now Iraq. So we have the same sort of thing where we've got uh, global reverberations, if you will. Uh, and uh, I really do think that at least in the late Bronze Age, and I see it today too, that if you have things like a climate change, you are going to get global instability. There's just no way around it. And again, like you say, it doesn't matter what is causing it, whether it's humans or Mother Nature. The fact is it's happening. You have a drought in California. There is no argument about that. Uh, and to say that's not causing instability is to just kind of having um, you know blinders on. That's that's correct. So we've talked so far about two things, which is climate change. And there was climate change back in uh, you know 1200 BC, uh, and it caused a great deal of instability. Uh, we have climate change now. We're seeing a lot of global instability begin the beginnings of it. Uh, um, and we also, uh, back in the Bronze Age, saw a great deal of globalization and interdependency. You use the example of tin, but also nations were dependent on each other for many goods that were that were essential to the the health of their economies. Now we have that today as well, uh, as we've become more and more interdependent, not only in stock markets, but in terms of uh, the values of currencies, um, and so on and so forth, uh, and use example over oil. Now, I have a friend who says that every civilization, no matter how advanced, is seven missed meals away from anarchy. And, and he claims that uh, hunger is the quickest road to chaos. I, I take it based on your research, you'd agree with that. Yeah, I would, too. I mean, these civilizations were happily going along their way for three, four, sometimes 500 years with, you know, the usual ups and downs that every civilization uh, has. But uh, then all of a sudden, that was that. Yeah. Uh, there are, uh, you know, there are other things to throw in here. They, there was for a long time. Well, we're going to, Dr. Klein, we're going to have to take a hard break here. But when we come back from the break, let's talk about the other things that we have in common with the Bronze Age. I think it's really important to bring this out at this particular point in time when there's time to react. We're going to take a short break, we'll be, but we'll be right back with Dr. Klein. You're listening to the Costa Report. Big data is changing the way organizations work. From data-driven marketing and ad targeting to the connected car, big data is fueling product innovation and new revenue opportunities. It's creating a culture in which business and IT leaders join forces to realize value from all data. They infuse analytics everywhere and make speed a differentiator, gaining competitive advantage from faster, more informed decisions. Leading organizations are creating new business models, developing new roles, and defining new big data architectures, including an infrastructure that can manage and process exploding volumes of structured and unstructured data, in motion as well as at rest, while protecting data privacy and security. 
Find out how IBM Big Data and Analytics can transform your business. Visit www.ibm.com slash big data today. It's time to remember. Hi, I'm Janine Avila, and I'm the co-chair of this year's Celebrate the Red. We will be commemorating the 25th anniversary of the Loma Prieta earthquake. This is an especially meaningful event to me since I lost my home and was introduced to the work of the Red Cross. Join Santa Cruz County area residents and businesses who are working together to support the mission of the Red Cross by providing relief to those affected by disasters and empower individuals to prepare for, respond to, and recover from emergencies. Our humanitarian honoree Leon Panetta will join us on September 27th at the Coconut Grove Ballroom at the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. The event will feature a champagne reception, buffet dinner, a silent and live auction, and music performed by Extra Large. Mark your calendars and buy your tickets before they sell out and start figuring out your outfit. This will be the gala of the year, so you won't want to miss out. Call the chapter or go to redcross.org Santa Cruz to buy tickets or support the event. redcross.org Santa Cruz. Hi, Registered Pharmacist Ben Fuchs here. I've been studying healthy bodies for 35 years, and what I've got to tell you may shock and surprise you, but if you listen up, it may change your life. There's no element in the body that's more important than iodine, and not just for the thyroid either. As it turns out, all of the glands of the body depend on iodine. The adrenal glands are especially dependent on iodine, and making sure you're getting enough via diet and supplementation can reduce fibrocystic breasts and lower the risk of heart disease too. Iodine is also important for your brain. According to researchers writing in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, iodine deficiency can prevent children from attaining, quote, their full intellectual potential, unquote. Deficiencies in iodine are considered to be the most preventable cause of brain damage in infants and children, and according to the World Health Organization, over one-third of kids are iodine deficient. According to the World Health Organization, iodine deficiency in adults can lower IQs by up to 15 points. And considering the average adult IQ is around 90 to 100, and 80 is considered dull, losing 15 IQ points can be pretty significant. Although iodine is one of the most feared and misunderstood of all the nutritional minerals, the fact is iodine is perhaps the safest of all the essential trace elements. Organic nutritional iodine is the only essential trace element that can be used safely for long durations in doses many times higher than the RDA. Iodine is found abundantly in the ocean, and regular consumption of seafood and sea vegetables are a great way to make sure you're getting enough. You can also supplement with Lugol Solution, a product called Iodorol or its equivalent. You can also use drops of something called nascent iodine, which may be especially especially effective as a supplemental source. Pharmacist Ben here urging you to go to kscohealth.com to order Beyond Tangy Tangerine, the Healthy Start Pack, and other nutritional supplements that I personally use and recommend. You can purchase these premium quality products at wholesale prices online at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. I'm the pharmacist that believes that staying healthy and strong is not only about medicine, it's about giving your body the raw materials it needs to do its work. Go to kscohealth.com. Make sure you check out the cool videos, too, at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us today, my guest is Dr. Eric Klein, who was explaining that climate change led to instability and rebellion during the Bronze Age. And uh, as we are experiencing climate change now, we're also seeing similar unrest around the world. Now, Dr. Klein, as you pointed out earlier, uh, we're becoming more and more homogeneous and interdependent and vulnerable to events occurring on the other side of the world, whether it's a faulty U.S. subprime mortgage, which sent economies all around the world into a recession, or uh, the nuclear reactor failure, for example, at Fukushima, or overfishing the oceans by one country, or even a jump in OPEC oil prices. It seems like every country is affected by these kinds of events and actions. So as an expert on the causes behind the fall of the Great Bronze Age, do, do these things concern you? Well, they do. Um, I do think there are lessons to be learned from history. Uh, obviously, it's, uh, you know, apples and oranges in a way to talk about the late Bronze Age civilizations and ours today. We're so much more technologically advanced. But there are certain things that are, you know, the same in, in, both, in all sorts of these societies in the same time periods. I mean, usually when you talk about the fall of a civilization, you're talking about, you know, the Romans... You're talking about the Maya. You're talking about, you know, various people such as you talk about in 
you're both the watchman's rattle. But in this particular case, the late Bronze Age, I'm talking about not just one civilization, but a series of interconnected civilizations. And that's where I think we have something in common with today, because we're talking today about our interconnected civilizations around the world, and we're talking about interconnections back then. And just as today we import things all the time from other countries, so they did back then. I mean, one of my favorite stories is uh, a pair of uh, sandals from Crete that was sent all the way to Hammurabi, the king of Babylon, like the famous Hammurabi law, the law code, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. He gets sent a pair of leather sandals, but he sends them back. Now, we're not told why he sends them back. I don't know if they were you know, too small or he didn't like them. They were so last millennium, whatever. But, you know, there's <laughs> something, to, you know, just like today. We buy things, we're given them, we re-gift them, we return them. You know, we're human when it comes down to it. And there are real similarities between them back then and us today, probably more than we would expect. Now, I'm a sociobiologist and in nature, any drive towards singularity is a drive toward extinction. So diversity plays a critical role in assuring that some of a species have a shot of adapting when the environment changes. And so I've argued for a long time that the world was much more stable when Germany's economy looked very different from China's and China's from the United States. But but in order to make it easy to do business with every country, we now have remarkably similar systems. Uh, so is moving away from uh, homogeneous systems one way to break the momentum of collapse? And, and, and is one solution isolationism? I mean, should we, should we not be mimicking each other's uh, economies? Should we be retracting from globalization? Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, there's no easy solution. If there were, we would have already figured it out, I, I would presume by now. Uh, and certainly, you know, they're not in a position way back then to do anything like that. Uh, in fact, you know, that's, again, one of the differences between us and them. We can kind of see what's coming and maybe make some steps, whether it's to avoid globalization, like you say, or avoid and maybe go away from the from the euro after all. But, you know, back then, I don't I don't think they would have been able to see this stuff. And they certainly wouldn't have told you that they were that unified. They may have said, yeah, we're getting tin from one group and we all get our raw glass from the same source. Sure. But, you know, life was very different in Mycenaean Greece than it was, say, in New Kingdom Egypt. And yet the one thing that they all had in common is that they were dependent on, upon each other for their raw goods. I mean, everybody got their gold from Egypt at that time. Everybody got their copper from Cyprus. Uh, most of the raw glass is coming from North Syria. And when you have, you know, one source for your major goods, that, I think, is when uh, you're in trouble. And I would say, again, that we're seeing it with the dependence on oil today from the Middle East. Yeah, but oil basically means energy, and we have alternate sources of energy. We just don't seem to be on top of it as quickly as we need to be, and that's why I think these lessons from the Bronze Age uh, are very, very important to take a look at uh, in today's economy. Um, but, you know, the euro is a good example, I mean, of interdependency and singularity. As soon as Greece got into trouble, we saw Italy and Spain follow suit, and then it looked like everybody was going to go down. Um, so you must have been sitting on the sidelines thinking, here we go. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in fact, that was the way I started my book. I described a situation that uh, really would, would fit with um, with today, where the economy of Greece was in shambles, and uh, earthquakes and tsunamis and this and that, and there's internal rebellions in Libya and Syria and Egypt. Uh, and, and then I'm like, you know, is this today? Well, yes, it's today, but it's also 1177 B.C. So, yeah, I saw real parallels between the two. And, you know, you say the diversity may be the solution. And, for example, alternate energy sources are, are you know, the way to go, obviously. Same thing in the late Bronze Age. People will point to uh, iron and say, well, you know, they could have used iron. Well, in fact, they were starting to use iron at the end of the Bronze Age. We've got some, for example, in King Tut's tomb, we've got a, a dagger with an iron blade. But they're not using it yet because they don't have to. 
But after the tin roots are cut and you can't make bronze anymore, that's when we see iron rise up. It's not that iron supplants bronze because it's better. It's that iron supplants bronze because you can't get you can't make bronze anymore. So that would be, I think, in a way, an analogy here. If your oil is giving out, if you, or if you can't get access to it anymore, what do you turn to? You know, uh, some sort of alternate form of energy is the way to go. And I think uh, there again, we can make that kind of analogy as to what an ancient civilization did when faced with such a situation. But as you point out, these ancient civilizations, they didn't have the abilities that we do now to use big data computers and you and, and run very sophisticated forecasting models to uh, to show us what the likely scenarios are, the likely outcomes are. I mean, largely these these uh, ancient civilizations had to be reactive. Suddenly there was no more tin, and so they had to turn to iron, and uh, and they were doing more iron. But we we have such an advantage in modern times. We can forecast with incredible and increasingly uh, with increasing accuracy uh, what these negative outcomes are. And and so, what's our excuse for not moving quickly? Well, I would ask the exact same question, uh, especially if you if you look at you know ancient history and you realize that every civilization has collapsed. There's none that have absolutely survived intact, and they each collapse, of course, for a different reason. But to be able to see it coming, to see that there are things that are going wrong, and that if you just let them keep going, you will collapse. That's you know that's tantamount to putting your head in the sand, as the saying goes. And so that's where I I can, you know kind of get frustrated. I say, look, even if you don't study ancient history, you've got to see that there are things going wrong here. And we do have the ability to forecast, and we do have the ability to find alternate uh, ways of doing things. But to just deny that things are happening or, oh, we're too advanced, it can't happen to us. We're not like those guys. We're not like ancient Rome. I'm, I'm sorry, I get news for you. We're more like them than you think. Uh, and so, yeah, it's very frustrating to see that we're not... Uh, that some of some of the people are not putting the forecasting to better use and, and trying to find ways out of this and to just deny it'll happen to us I think is uh, just again you know putting your head in the sand well I join you in that frustration we may well be known millions of years from now as the first civilization that actually had the means to avoid or at the very least minimize the uh, repercussions of a negative outcome and failed to take action. I mean, I understand why ancient civilizations had to be reactive, but there is no excuse and no reason why we need to be. We have the knowledge and we have the means and the resources to prevent many of these catastrophes from happening. And uh, I think we're going to look awfully foolish uh, uh, many thousands of years down the road. We have to take our final break, but stay right where you are. You're listening to the Costa Report. Today we have the honor of visiting with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellar. So tell us a little bit about your winemaker. Uh, Michelle Saug was the founding winemaker at Rotor Estate in Anderson Valley and really embodies what we were looking for in somebody who could deliver a sparkling wine project in an area that really hadn't done it the way that we were looking to. You've certainly been on the bleeding edge, and so has your winemaker. It has made all the difference in the world in the quality of wines that are coming out of Caraccioli Cellars. To find out more about Caraccioli Wines, visit us at www.caracciolicellars.com or stop by our tasting room at the corner of Ocean and Dolores in downtown Carmel, California. That's Caraccioli Cellars, C-A-R-A-C-C-I-O-L-I, Cellars, where one bottle is never enough. No matter what business you're in, what happens in Washington can make the difference between business success or failure. That's why understanding where government is headed is so important in today's competitive business environment. But where can you find experts who know firsthand the inner workings of our nation's capital? The American Program Bureau is your leading source for speakers whose experience offer unique insights into where U.S. policy is headed. Speakers like Seth Harris, former acting U.S. Secretary of Labor, 
Alyssa Mastromonaco, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff, and General Carl Eikenberry, former U.S. Ambassador to Afghanistan. For your next meeting or conference, contact the American Program Bureau at apbspeakers.com or 617-614-1600. That's apbspeakers.com. The American Program Bureau, making history one speech at a time. Hey there, everybody. Excitement's in the air. Family fun for everyone. The Santa Cruz County Fair. This year's theme, Sew It, Grow It, Show It, is everywhere you look. Walk through the buildings to see the best from youth groups and seniors alike. Stroll the animal barns where 4-H and FFA pride shines. Catch the turkey stampede, racing pigs, Captain Jack Spare Ribs, and master hypnotist Michael Mesmer. Then tonight at 7.30 on the main amphitheater stage, Tsunami Band. Details at SantaCruzCountyFair.com. The Santa Cruz County Fair, now through Sunday at the fairgrounds on Highway 152 between Hecker Pass and the Bay. There's no better way to have more fun in one day. The Santa Cruz County Fair. Hey, where do you get healthy? You know, the Mighty 90, the Health Pack, uh, Pollen Burst, Energy Drink is getting confusing. Remember, the original vitamingoddess.com. Go on there, look at it, choose it, and before you know it, bam, the goods are in your hand. Vitamingoddess.com or vitamingod.com. So get your Mighty 90, the Health Pack, and Pollen Burst Energy Drink. Vitamingoddess.com. 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 Join me for It's a Question of Balance with Ruth Copland on Saturday evenings 8 till 10. In the first hour, we ask questions that matter, focusing on the deeper issues underlying current events, politics, and our daily lives. Call in and join the conversation. In the second hour, we balance the intellectual with the creative by featuring in-depth interviews with local, national, and international guests from the arts. Tune in Saturday evenings 8 to 10 and discover It's a Question of Balance. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and today my guest is acclaimed historian and archaeologist Eric H. Klein, who's written a riveting book called 1177, The Year Civilization Collapse. Now, Dr. Klein, I I wasn't going to ask you this, but uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and take a chance and ask you anyways. Uh, So if you were invited to the White House tomorrow and and they asked you for your advice on uh, what should be done to circumvent the same fate as the Bronze Age, uh, what would be at the top of your list? Oh, that's an excellent question. And uh, since I haven't gotten that invitation, I haven't given that much thought. Well, we're working on it, Dr. Klein. (laughs) (laughs) Good to hear. Well, GW is quite close to the White House, so I could get there easily. Um, first of all, I would I would say that it was an amazing era back then, and uh, it'll give some illustrations of just how interesting life was back then. But then also say that uh, they certainly didn't expect to collapse, uh, just as we don't uh, today. And uh, would really just say, uh, you know, just I think I guess the the main thing I would say is, don't think it can't happen to us because it can. And you really do need to spread out all of your options and realize that, uh, you know, you can survive one thing and you're fine and maybe even survive a second thing and you're fine. But if you get three or more things, you know, at the same time, then you've got real problems. Uh, On the other hand, I would say that you could also take solace in the fact that if something does survive, you know, if we don't blow up our entire planet, but something does survive, that usually there are, you know, phoenixes that rise from the ashes. And we do have to realize that even though those kingdoms in the late Bronze Age all collapsed, that the the power vacuum that uh, was created allowed new entities to come forth. They were smaller for the most part, but we get things like uh, Israel and Judah, we get the Aramaeans, we get the Phoenicians. Uh, uh, a couple hundred years later, we get you know Greece, Athens, and Sparta. And we get things that we still have today, monotheistic religion, the alphabet, 
So, you know, there's a silver lining. If we do collapse, hopefully something good will come out of it. I don't know what it will be. Um, I personally would uh, prefer not to try and find out that way. I would say, you know, look on ancient history and realize that if you don't study it, uh, you are doomed to repeat it, as the old saying goes. And uh, if uh, I can be of any help here and educate you about what the uh, Babylonians did or the Egyptians, uh, if the White House wants that, I'd be happy to talk to them about it. Well, it seems to me that uh, there's a, you know, in your book, there are convergences. And the convergence is climate change leading to instability interdependency uh, on on critical items that were required to sustain these economies, uh, globalization, and then natural disasters. Uh, they all converged. They created instability and caused these societies to collapse, which basically means that they, they collapsed systemically. All the people didn't die. They just broke into smaller troops. And, uh, and then those troops developed their own culture, their own identities, and they began to expand again. Um, I, I don't, I don't really fear collapse, uh, because, you know, I, what I see is that people, uh, revert to, uh, smaller groups and ways of living that, uh, that are more manageable in some ways. And in some ways, these civilizations became unwieldy and, uh, and too complicated and too, and perhaps maybe even overreached to a certain point. Uh, and, you know, you, you, you reach your level of competency and then uh, you probably go through a period of retraction of some type. And I think we're beginning to understand that and appreciate that more. Um, but it seems to me that uh, one solution is to uh, become as independent as possible uh, and, and not become so dependent on other uh, economies and other decisions by other governments uh, and, uh, and so, you know, I, I, I don't want to say go the way Ron Paul is saying, you know, withdraw from every, every other economy, but, uh, maybe some version of that. What do you think? Yeah, I would argue that a certain degree of self-sufficiency is probably a good idea. I think if one were to ask, you know, Agamemnon or one of the other Mycenaeans that, uh, Homer and others, uh, say were around, if you said, um, you know, are you sorry that you were so dependent on things from the Near East back in the Bronze Age? They'd say, yeah, I think we probably should have grown a little bit more of our grain. We should have not imported so much of the raw materials. So, yeah, I suspect that um, while I wouldn't want to withdraw from the world completely, I do think that it's a good idea to be self-sufficient to a certain degree. In case something does happen, you can produce your own things. Uh, and that anytime you overextend yourself, it's probably not a good idea. And I think the people at the late Bronze Age, albeit unintentionally, uh, found themselves in exactly that situation. So that when earthquakes hit, which weren't expected, when invaders came in, which weren't expected, when the drought hit, that wasn't expected, uh, they, they could not overcome all of those things at once, and everything multiplied. And they had a systems collapse, and uh, everything went away, at least at the upper echelons. So, uh, you know, if we don't want that to happen to us, too, I would say a certain degree of self-sufficiency is, is wise to have in your back pocket. So perhaps the lesson here is if you begin to see climate change, natural disasters, instability, unrest abroad, uh, it's not so bad to focus your domestic policy on self-sufficiency. It might not be a bad idea. <laughs> All right. I think we've solved that one. <laughs> now, I don't want to let you go without asking you whether you have a website that listeners can go to to get additional information on your research and also uh, where they can get 1177, The Year Civilization Collapsed. Yeah, they can get the book on uh, on Amazon. That's probably the easiest way to get it. Uh, it's in a Kindle version as well as an Audible as well as the hardback. And I have a webpage that's up at um, George Washington University. Probably the easiest way to find it is just to Google me, Eric H. Klein, all with C's and C-L-I-N-E. Uh, and uh, GWU, up I will come, and then you can follow me. I think I've also got a page on uh, Amazon and 
uh, one of my students actually maintains a Wikipedia page for me. So How about I, that? I'm out there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, you are. You are all over the Internet. That's Eric H. Klein, and that's C-L-I-N-E. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have today. But before we say goodbye, I want to thank you for your research and also for making time to speak with us today. Thank you, Dr. Klein. Absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for having me. If your station is leaving us after the first hour and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with Eric Klein today, take a moment to email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. And just for all of you history buffs out there, I want to mention the name of the book one more time. It's 1177, The Year Civilization Collapsed. It is well. It is a well-written account of the events which converged to bring about the end of the Bronze Age, and I, and I think you'll see how m- there are many parallels between the conditions then and also now. And if you missed the full interview with Klein today or any of our other guests, remember you can download previous episodes of the Costa Report from our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and our YouTube channel. And while you're at our website, be sure to check out my book, The Watchman's Rattle. Uh, while I look at the collapse of great civilizations from a slightly different perspective, from a sociobiological one, our conclusions are remarkably similar in Klein's view, globalization, interdependency, natural disasters, climate change um, were contributors. In my view, societies eventually become too unwieldy and complex and can no longer be controlled. Uh, Both are points of view substantiated by history and also by science. So grab both books and then, you know, make a decision for yourself. Uh, In my view, the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. To make it easy for you to get both perspectives, we have both books available on our bookstore page, uh, which will take you right over to Amazon. So just go to RebeccaCosta.com and click on any of our book from our uh, books from our curated list. Uh, but be warned, uh, this is not a book list for everyone. This is a book list for thinking people who want to be informed and who want to decide for themselves. We refuse to dumb down our reading list. Uh, I don't care what's on the New York Times bestseller list. We're not going to dumb down our reading list. So I think you're going to be surprised at the book recommendations you find there, uh, going all the way back to uh, Charles Darwin's original uh, writing. So go to Rebecca Costa, that's my name, dot com, and, uh, and have a look at our book picks. Now, my, uh, you're going to want to stay tuned for this. My, my guest next week was White House counsel to President Nixon during Watergate, none other than Mr. John Dean. And no one knows better. And in fact, he may be the only person that knows what the president knew and when he knew it and how Watergate forever changed the most powerful office in the world. Don't miss a revealing conversation with John Dean next week on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for another hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.